Welcome to the Family Advisory and Philanthropy Services In Conversations with podcast series on the UBS Conversations podcast channel. Hello, everyone. Welcome to UBS On Air. My name is Liz Cribbs, and I'm a senior strategist on the Family Advisory and Philanthropy Services team here at UBS. The mission of our group is to serve as a thought partner for exceptional families. We understand that our clients' needs extend beyond the purely financial, so we help them take a strategic and sustainable approach to managing their wealth for continuity. We work with our clients to get to the heart of what's most important to them, to help them align their passions with giving opportunities to achieve their philanthropic goals. An important step in identifying where our passions lie and how to best meet our goals is to learn from others and hear success stories of leaders in philanthropy. And that's why today I've invited an incredibly successful and passionate philanthropist, Dr. Thomas Kaplan, to join us. Tom is the chairman of Panthera, an organization he co-founded with his wife Daphne in 2006 to meet the global challenges of protecting the world's wild cats and their critical ecosystems. From a startup, it's now the leading NGO in the space with over 100 partnerships in 50 countries. They have also endowed the Reconati Kaplan Center, a field conservation program at the University of Oxford's Wildlife Conservation Research Unit, Wild Crew. It was Wild Crew's professor, David McDonald, who once said upon introducing Tom that while the whole world is trying to turn tigers into gold, Tom is trying to turn gold into tigers. The Kaplans also founded the Oriane Society, named after their daughter, to preserve eastern indigo snakes and their habitat, the longleaf pine forests of the southeastern United States. Tom holds bachelor's, master's, and doctorate degrees from Oxford University. He currently serves as the chairman and CEO of the Electrum Group, a New York City-based investment management firm with a focus on the natural resources sector. With all you're doing, Tom, it's a wonder we got you in to talk with us today about Panthera, but we're so happy to have you here. Welcome. It's a true pleasure. Thank you, Liz. So let's get started. First of all, I have to ask you, Tom, why big cats? The beautiful thing about the big cats is that they're not just stunningly gorgeous and usually the charismatic megafauna within their ecosystem, but they create an immediate empathy with humans. Um, we've done studies which show that in almost all parts of the world, the terrestrial animals that immediately capture the imagination of people, as well as their sympathy, are the big cats. Out of a dozen terrestrial animals, usually six or seven of the most uh, appreciated are going to be cats. The significance of that is not just that we're dealing with saving uh, the 38 species of wild cats, but we're saving everything that's encompassed within their critical habitats. The fact is that in most of their landscapes, the big cats are the apex predator, or if you let's squeamish, um, or more squeamish, uh, the umbrella species of that ecosystem, which basically means that when you save the cats, 
you are providing the two things that they most need in order to thrive. Lots of land in which to roam and prey. If they have uh, land and protein, they're in good shape. But what that also means is that if you imagine them at the top of the pyramid, everything else within that ecosystem is going to be thriving if that ecosystem can contain cats. It's sort of like a one-stop shop or a hook on which people can hang their hats if they're interested in bird life or they're interested in reptiles or they're interested in other mammals and primates. If the cat can thrive in that ecosystem, it means that everything else can as well. And as a result, the cat becomes the, well, the catalyst for landscape-wide conservation in almost all the areas in which we're operating. That's why cats. That that makes a lot of sense, and and it makes sense that why it matters from a conservation standpoint as a whole. Um, Tell me, how did you first become interested in cats? Well, I think that, like many children, um, I fell in love with tigers. I fell in love with leopards. Um, and in fact, until I was about 10 or 11 years old, if someone would ask me, um, what do you expect to do with your life? Uh, my preferred uh, occupation was to be a zoologist, studying big cats in the wild. Around that time, I realized that I had a far greater aptitude for history and was reading Suetonius at 10 or 11 and would have made an incredibly mediocre scientist. But when I um, began my career, um, I made a vow to myself that if I ever did make enough money to be able to give back to what I so loved and to be able to enable those who really were great practitioners in cat conservation, um, I would make that a focus uh, for my passion. Um, So, you know, it was embedded in me from a very young age. Um, But what I really was able to do was to find a way to be able to accomplish that. And I really was able to gain momentum when I met with someone who became really the person who was the closest thing to a genetic brother for me, the late Dr. Alan Rabinowitz, who was, until he passed away a couple of years ago, the world's leading cat uh, conservationist. He established the world's first Jaguar Reserve in Belize, the largest tiger reserve in the world, in Myanmar. And he, Daphne, and myself um, were really the co-founders of Panthera. And what he needed was resources um, and a passionate advocate who was willing to put himself out of his comfort zone and to bring in partners. And what I needed uh, to fulfill myself was for Alan and his cohort, our band of brothers and sisters in conservation, to be able to go out and fulfill my dream of being able to save cats. We found each other, and one plus one equaled 11. It sure did, and, and you know what a success story that after starting up in 2006, now you're in 50 countries and you know 100 partnerships. Um, tell me a little bit more practically about how the program works and about those partners. We're very big believers in um, being nimble and in building capacity in these local jurisdictions. At the end of the day, what you really want is that the people who are living with these um, animals 
um, are empowered to be able to save them and to be able to show that um, their livelihoods can be improved with saving the cats, not with eradicating them. Um, I uh, did my doctorate in counterinsurgency, and I adopted something of what we would call a hearts and minds approach to uh, conservation, which is if you recognize that whether people are rich or poor, regardless of race, regardless of where they live, the one thing that unites everyone is that they want to have a better life for their children. So when we established, for example, um, our project in the Pantanal in Brazil, which has become one of our flagship Jaguar programs, um, one of the things that we did was we would bring in doctors. Uh, we created a joint venture with Mount Sinai in uh, New York to bring in doctors. Um, they would provide medical care to the local community um, as part of their residencies, and in turn, they would use uh, the area to be able to study zoonotics, which is, as we now um, speak of very often, animal-to-animal um, animal or animal-to-human uh, transmission of diseases. So we were doing this a decade ago with Mount Sinai, which is why the pandemic hasn't exactly come as a surprise to us. Um, but we would bring in doctors, we would bring in dentists, um, we built schools in which the children were educated during the day and the adults would learn how to read and write in the evening. And as we would say, you know, a poacher might get into these areas, but they might not get out alive because the local people understood that it was because of the Jaguar that their children were being given a better life. And that changed the entire dynamic and the population of Jaguars exploded to the upside. So we're very big believers that when you're partners and you're in, you're all in. And that's been very much part of our approach in the entire partnership model. I've also been very lucky in that each one of our um, you know, flagship uh, programs has had incredible partners associated with them. Um, in the case of Panthera, um, my leading partners um, these days um, are actually out of the Gulf uh, region. Uh, Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed al-Nehan, the crown prince of the UAE, uh, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, Mohammed bin Salman, and Prince Badr, who is really the engine behind Saudi Arabia's push into environmental restoration and species conservation. Um, these people have proven to be incredible partners. Hamendra Kotari of the Kotari Foundation in India, he's really their Mr. Tiger. So we've been able to have incredible partnerships, um, but across the board, uh, and you'd probably find that to be very surprising. So my partner at uh, Oxford Wild Crew, for example, um, has been from the inception Julian Robertson um, of uh, the Tiger Fund, the Robertson Foundation, um, which is led by Sir John Hood, um, have been incredible partners for the Wild Crew and our biggest donors in tiger conservation for Panthera. Um, in the case of the Orianne Society, um, our biggest outside donors are Hank and Wendy Paulson. Um, and their son, Merritt, who are huge uh, reptile um, aficionados 
um, and some of the biggest donors to reptile conservation. Um, with us, Larry Fink of BlackRock um, is uh, is one of our largest donors. And going back to his childhood, like my own, um, he had snakes, he had turtles. In fact, um, on one occasion, I surprised him um, in his conference room. His son, Josh, is like my little brother, and he's a board member of Panthera. And um, we surprised Larry by having an indigo snake uh, coiled up on the conference room at uh, BlackRock, and that was a wonderful scene. Larry came in, wow. didn't skip the beat, took, he took the snake, put it on his shoulders, and supported it as one should um, support the, the snake, who immediately took to him. Uh, and it was just an absolutely beautiful moment. Um, Michael Steinhardt has been one of our biggest supporters. So, you know, when you look at the kind of partnerships that we've been able to generate um, with leaders of countries, leaders of finance, um, and then you superimpose that onto uh, some of the greatest conservationists in the world, um, in our organizations, as well as other organizations. Our attitude is don't be territorial. It's not about ego. It's about the mission. Um, and if someone's doing a better job than you, you pivot to supporting them. And our feeling is that nature needs wins. Um, I was very much influenced by Ted Turner um, and his work in conservation by Doug and Chris Tompkins from Patagonia, who've done absolutely amazing work in South Africa, in South, excuse me, South America and building reserves. Um, between Ted Turner and the Tompkins, that's where I really learned that there are times when you have to step in and buy up all the land that you can um, in order to create corridors for conservation. Um, I ended up buying ranches in Brazil, um, even though I'm a vegetarian. But that, <laughs> that land was necessary in order to connect um, national parks. Ironically, Alan Rabinowitz, world's greatest cat conservationist, was allergic to cats. So we used to laugh. You know, the guy allergic to cats and the vegetarian were uh, buying up ranches in uh, the Pantanal region of Brazil. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you're in, you're all in. And uh, sometimes the ironies just uh, get swept away in the interest of uh, the common good. Well, those were thanks for those examples. That actually provided a lot of color. Um, one thing I do, I know it's on our clients' minds, and I want to just, you touched on it, but I want to go back to it for a minute, is the, the global pandemic that we're experiencing now. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, the work of the relevance of the work of Panthera as it relates to that? Well, the reality is that, um, simply put, there are some things that people should just not be putting into their mouths. Um, bats amongst them. And whether it's bats or whether it's pangolins or whether something will emerge out of the conditions of factory farming, um, what we do know is that um, the risk of global pandemics um, is rising exponentially. And what we've seen out of what appears to be um, you know, a condition of wet markets um, leading to, uh, um, you know, this uh, pandemic, um, you know, it has really the impact to completely destabilize the world um, and uh, destabilize uh, particularly democracies. 
So, you know, the clear condition here is that there has to be a crackdown on wildlife trafficking, whether it's pangolins or whether it's tiger bone. Um, and now uh, you're seeing uh, lions and leopards being substituted for tigers. Um, we have to understand that at the end of the day, no pun intended, well, maybe a little bit, nature bats last. And um, she's going to have her way with us if, uh, if we're not smart. And thus far, we haven't proven to be very smart. With any luck, we'll take this as a warning sign and uh, crack down on bad practices. But if we don't, um, you can expect more and more virulent forms of pandemic. Thanks for your thoughts on that, Tom. Um, now just switching over, because I know you've been all over the world. I know you have great stories that, you know, with your work. What is a memorable story from your involvement with Panthera that our clients might like to hear? Well, I would say a number of them involve um, our project in Brazil. And um, one that stands out is that as we gained traction and we saw that because of the practices that we were instituting on the ranches, giving the ranchers their own homes, um, putting a moratorium that no jaguar would be harmed, even if they found them sitting on top of cattle, um, the jaguar population really rebounded. And it became a, where throughout the jaguar's range, it was really the only place where one could be guaranteed to see jaguars, which is very, very tough. And 60 Minutes approached us, and they said that they'd heard about our work in Brazil. But really, what were the chances that they would see a jaguar? They'd known that you know, people traveled throughout the jaguar's range from Mexico to Argentina, and often very rarely did they see a jaguar. And I said, you'll see a jaguar, I guarantee it. Within, give me a week, um, and you'll absolutely see a jaguar. Now, I knew that given a week, it was almost impossible for them not to see a jaguar, but um, their attitude was one of skepticism. Anyway, um, the late Bob Simon, fabulous man, um, was the, um, uh, the interviewer, and Tom Anderson, who's actually on Panthera's Conservation Council, um, was the producer of this episode. And they and their crew flew down to um, Brazil, and they got there a day before I did. When I landed, um, my team told me that I was very lucky that I'd missed the pandemonium that had taken place the day before. So I told them to expect a week and they'll see a jaguar. They went out on their first excursion that the evening that they arrived. They didn't see a jaguar and apparently went through all kinds of jeremiads that their next episode was going to be in Brooklyn. Um, they used up their budget. Everyone had told them it was impossible to see jaguars. I must be bluffing. Um, anyway, fortunately, by the time I'd arrived the following day, they had seen so many jaguars, and not just so many. They'd seen them from horseback. They saw them from helicopters. They saw them by boat. They saw them when they were taking a hike. They had all the footage that they needed um, already in the can. And they were absolutely ecstatic. And we spent the next week uh, fishing together and uh, just having a really, really great time. Um, 
but the truth is that that place is really magical and um you know we've taken people down there and one famous hedge fund manager jokingly said um i've seen now jaguars in every conceivable position i'd really like to see them mating and <laughs> i said okay no problem no no problem now i had not seen the jaguars mating um i had seen tigers mating in india it was uh, two days after uh, George Soros had invested in my first company and really gave me my first shot. It was on January 1st, uh, 1995, and everyone had a hangover. Uh, I did too, actually. Um, but I went into the park um, with a guide, and I spent an hour with mating jaguars. By the end of it, I needed a cigarette and was completely <laughs> exhausted. But anyway, the hedge fund manager in Brazil... Um, said to me, he said, you know, I'd like to see the Jaguars mating. And we went out on a boat, and there, 20 minutes later, were Jaguars mating on the riverbank. And he and his wife looked at me, and they said, how did you arrange that? I said, it's really very simple. We called the Jaguar Union. We said we have a big donor, <laughs> and this is, what, this is what he needs to see. I said, we're absolutely full service. Anyway, it was a uh, it was a, it was a great um, punctuation mark for what was uh, already a fabulous trip. What a great story, um, Tom! I, I could talk about this all day, um, but our time, you know, is coming to an end soon. And I wanted to ask you: How can people get involved with Panthera with conservation? What should they know? What would you like our listeners to know? Look, we're a big tent. Um, very recently, we were joined on our board and on our uh, global alliance by an absolutely wonderful man named John Ayers. And John's family, the Ayers Foundation, are focused on small cats. And um, there are 30 species of small cats. Out of the 38 species of wild cats, 30 of them are small, um, from sand cats through to what we would call clouded leopards or sunda. And he is probably going to be the most significant um, cat uh, donor and conservationist of his generation in the field of the small cats. Um, when Bob Simon interviewed Alan and myself, when we were in the Pantanal for 60 minutes, um, he said, almost as you just did, if somebody wants to get involved, what do they do? And... I said, um, give him my email address. He said, you'll take emails. I said, anyone who wants to talk to me about cat conservation can do it. I'm not going to say I would do that for my business. Um, but when it comes to cats, my greatest passion in life and where I know that we're moving the needle, if someone has a cat that they particularly fancy um, or somebody really wants to make an impact in landscape-wide conservation in general, they can hang their hat on the cat. And I'm happy to engage with those people personally. Um, and so if someone wants to get in touch, please give them my email address and uh, tell them, tell me what you're interested in doing, and I'll find you a partner for it. Let's make it happen. That's really incredible, Tom. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, your passion is really unparalleled. Um, I loved hearing about Panthera and about, you know, conservation in general. It's, it's so 
critical, especially during this time. I know that our listeners will be very inspired by your story and how passionate you are. So thanks again for coming in. Thank you, Liz. And um, I appreciate the fact that you've given me the opportunity to speak to your audience. Um, And I wish for all of you and your loved ones uh, continued safety and peace of mind. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that clients understand the ways in which we conduct business, that they carefully read the agreements and disclosures that we provide to them about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review the PDF document at UBS.com forward slash relationship summary. UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG, member FINRA SIPC.